This is a CNA podcast. Join us tonight is Brandon Say, a 26-year-old hero. Two weeks ago, during the Lunar New Year celebrations, he heard the studio door close, and he saw a man standing there pointing semi-automatic pistol at him. And in that instant, he found the courage to act and wrestled a semi-automatic pistol away from the gunman who had already killed 11 people in another dance studio. 11. He saved lives. It's time we do the same. Banned assault weapons now. Ban them now. President Biden has called gun violence in the United States an international embarrassment. And in his State of the Union address, vowed to do something about it for good. But that's easier said than done in America. I'm Teresa Tang. Welcome to this episode of CNA Correspondent. Even before his State of the Union address, President Biden had already renewed calls for Congress to pass a bill banning assault weapons. This was in the wake of back-to-back mass shootings in California. Correspondent Ira Spitzer covered those tragic incidents, and he joins me to talk about the complex issue of dealing with gun violence in the U.S. Welcome to the show, Ira. Thanks for having me. In his State of the Union address, the president said he heard the pleas of families who lost children to gun violence, and he promised more would be done. But America is very divided over the right to bear arms. So first off, Ira, can you paint us a picture of overall gun ownership in the U.S.? Who owns them and why do they own them? So there's no definitive gun registry or registry of gun owners in the U.S., but it's believed that the number of firearms in the U.S. is close to or exceeds 400 million, which also is more than the U.S. population. So there are more guns than people, almost certainly in the United States. And in terms of household gun ownership, according to a recent Pew Research survey, about 46% of Americans report that there is a gun in their household including 33% of all Americans who say that they personally own a firearm. So as those numbers would indicate, it is not an unusual thing at all for Americans to own a gun or to have a gun in the household. Now, certainly different households and regions are different, but that is the overall picture. And in terms of ethnic background, white males make up the largest percentage of gun owners. And the reasons why Americans own guns, the largest reason cited, according to multiple surveys, is personal protection. That is why Americans say they own guns. That is why American gun owners believe that they need to have guns. And for those who believe that gun ownership should not be restricted, that is typically the main reason cited is personal protection for why people need guns. It seems ironic, though. Is it protection from other guns, which is why people have their own guns? Right. The, this sort of vicious cycle that the U.S. can't seem to get out of is the fact that because we all know that so many guns are out there, and as I just mentioned, close to half of American households have guns. So because of that, then the fear factor, of course, is increased by others who think, oh, well, if 
if so many people are armed and I'm not armed, then that puts me at risk. But of course, that sort of begets this vicious cycle of, in many cases, violence, where a dispute that in many places might escalate into violence, mm-hmm. perhaps a, a fist fight or something like that. But when you have two gun owners, suddenly the potential for a homicide becomes very real. Yeah, exactly. Okay, for the purposes of our conversation, let's define a mass shooting as an incident in a public place where more than three people are killed. That's how Statistica defines them. And they say the state of California has had the most mass shootings in the entire country since 1982. You are based in the Golden State, Ira. And as I mentioned earlier, you recently covered two terrible incidents, one in Monterey Park, where 11 were killed at a dance studio. And then just two days later, another seven murdered at Half Moon Bay. People and the places appear to change, but the storyline essentially is the same. Can you tell us what is covering gun tragedies in the U.S. like as a journalist? Well, you've sadly become somewhat numb to the situation because, uh, for one, it it does happen very frequently. You just mentioned there, just in California, in the span of a few days, I was actually in Monterey Park, which is east of Los Angeles, and then immediately rushed north to Northern California, near San Francisco, where I am now, to Half Moon Bay, to cover yet another tragic mass shooting and the stories of the people who are affected just unbelievably sad these mass shootings no one would have any idea that something like that was about to happen both in the location they're in or in the wider community in the example of monterey park i talked to numerous community members there that's a largely chinese and chinese american community in monterey park They considered it a safe place, a place where gun violence wouldn't usually reach them. And that's one of the reasons they chose to live there. And to hear how that piece was shattered, people who had friends who lost their lives, family members, of course, in some cases, it's just it's just a tragedy. And it is a preventable tragedy, of course, in in many of their minds because of the issue of whether it's gun owners or gun control and the lack thereof, or of mental health and the lack of access to treatment by some of these perpetrators. The feeling is among the victims, families and friends that these are preventable tragedies. But by the time you've arrived as a journalist, it's too late. None of that necessarily matters because they've had this carnage in their community. So it's very difficult. I remember in 1999, I was in high school and that was when the Columbine shooting happened in Colorado. And at that time, people were saying, this is a once in a generation incident. But sadly, clearly, that's not the case. We've seen it happen time and time again. An op-ed piece in the LA Times recently described gun culture in America as deranged, but others say, look, guns are a source of pride and they actually represent family values to us. Help us make sense of this, because for those of us looking outside in, in countries where guns are not allowed, it's very perplexing. Why are guns such an entrenched part of the American identity, despite the many tragic incidents there are? I think when you talk about guns and gun ownership in the U.S., you have to really start with the Second Amendment in the U.S. Constitution, and the Constitution lays out a number of inalienable rights. And the Second Amendment to the Constitution is the right to bear arms. So 
gun ownership and the right to gun ownership is literally as old as and as entrenched to the founding of America as anything else. So that legally as well as culturally does create a different relationship with guns than there exists in most other places. Building onto that, of course, with the history of the U.S. over the last couple of centuries and settlers, for example, moving west where having a gun was seen as essential for protection or for hunting and was not abnormal in any way. But then as cities became much bigger and crime became a problem, suddenly those guns were, as we've just discussed, used more and more for criminal activity as opposed to protection from uh, from animals or, or hunting or things of that nature. So I think culturally, there's that historical aspect and the constitutional aspect that comes into play. But now it's it's taken on a life of its own where it's really gun rights advocates will have shown that they will push back on any sort of gun legislation, including what many Americans and uh, think of as common sense legislation, such as uh, banning assault weapons, which is uh, something that President Biden discussed in the State of the Union address and talks about frequently. It's hard to see the argument why assault weapons need to be legal as they are in many states. But because of that history and because of the Constitution, many people do feel that any infringement on gun rights is not the place of the government. And that really brings us to this entrenched situation. But often policy changes uh, do not happen because of the political divide in the U.S. Congress and just in the U.S. generally. Yeah. And some argue the trajectory of a mass shooting is always the same. It takes place. Questions around how something like this could happen, calls for change and then inertia. So we want to know why does the cycle keep repeating itself? We're going to explore that with Ira right after this. Hey, everyone. My name's Stephen Chia, and I'm host of CNA's weekly news podcast, Heart of the Matter. Now, each week, my job is to ask questions you have, like, why is the COE so high? Why aren't singles dating? Or what is going on with the red-hot property market in Singapore? If you want the views behind the news, then tune in each week as we get to the heart of the matter. We are on the CNA and Me Listen apps and wherever you get your podcasts. Hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode when it drops. How are you, pal? This is Joe Biden. President Biden. I wanted to call to see how you're doing and thank you for taking such incredible action in face of danger. I don't think you understand just how much you've done for so many people who are never going to even know you. I'm still processing, you know, what, what I did and what I experienced. For you to call, that's just so comforting for me. What you just heard there was a phone call President Biden made to 26-year-old Brandon Say. He disarmed the gunman of the Monterey Park shooting after he entered another dance hall, this one owned by Say's family. Say flew to Washington at the invitation of President Biden to hear the State of the Union address in person. And Ira, we heard off the top of this episode, Mr. Biden vowing to deal with this scourge once and for all. Right. So at the State of the Union address and as President Biden has done throughout much of his time in office and especially in the wake of some of those very 
tragic mass shootings last year, such as the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, is a try and make gun control a central tenet, a central act of his presidency. So he called again in that State of the Union address there for more gun control, for example, banning assault weapons. There was a ban on assault weapons in the 1990s, but then that eventually lapsed and was not renewed. Then assault weapons are in many states able to be purchased. So uh, President Biden wanting to make that illegal. He also detailed some of the things that his administration has done already to promote gun control. Some of that has to do with enhanced background checks for uh, people who are 18 to 21 years old and and so-called red flag laws, which are designed to keep guns out of uh, the hands of people who are deemed a danger to themselves and others. But what he's really calling for is more gun control, such as through something called the Safer Communities Act. That's something that he's called the most sweeping gun safety law in three decades. So Biden, again, calling for gun control, having Brandon say come to the State of the Union address to highlight some of the issues of of mass shootings and gun control. But again, as we heard in that State of the Union address, Republicans are not very open to that sort of rhetoric. And of course, they control the House of Representatives right now. So that's going to be somewhat of an uphill battle if it's not done in a bipartisan way right now. When people think about America and guns, you often think about the shooter, right? Like, who are they? Do they have anything in common? And what's interesting is the LA Times, after the Monterey shooting, they profiled perpetrators to find out if there was any common factor between these shootings. And they actually found that these shooters were very diverse. They were young, they were old, various states of mental health, targeting schools, grocery stores. And the only common element they shared is the fact that they have guns. So going back to the law and California where you are, the state has some of the toughest gun laws in the U.S., but people are still dying. Why is that? California does have what is considered uh, among the strictest, if not the strictest, gun control laws in the U.S. They have red flag laws that allow others to try and petition a court to stop someone from owning a gun because of someone being a threat to themselves or others. Also making certain background checks uh, much more stringent here compared to other states, a ban on high capacity magazines. So, yeah, there are a number of measures that California has taken to try and rein in guns, but quite a few problems, of course. One is the fact that U.S. states have open borders, so I can just get in my car right now, drive a few hours to the state of Nevada, go to a gun show, a gun shop, purchase a firearm drive back home, it's very unlikely that I would be stopped and searched. And in fact, that would likely be illegal without probable cause. Wait, so you could just walk into a store and buy a gun? I can likely walk into a store and buy a gun. There may be some hoops I have to jump through in Nevada, but they're much less than what I would have to do in California. And then I can simply transport that firearm back. And yes, it may be illegal under California law, but that is For many of the people who have guns here, that has not been a deterrent. Another issue is many of the gun control laws that California and other states try to enact can be declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. And that's something we saw happen last year with a concealed carry law that New York State wanted to enact. That was declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. 
California, some of the gun control measures here have also faced legal challenges. And while those legal challenges work through the system, it's not illegal in many cases for me to possess some of the, the weapons that California has tried to ban. So it, it's very tricky to enact gun control on the state level. Obviously, at a federal level, that would probably be more impactful. But again, federal gun legislation is, has proven incredibly difficult. So it's left up to the states like California. And as we can see with these mass shootings, even California's gun laws didn't seem to do that much to, to stop a very violent start to this particular year. Yeah, as you say, the problem is those borders are open, rendering laws essentially impotent in many cases. When House Democrats still controlled the lower chamber last year, they passed an assault weapons ban, but it stalled. It never made it to Biden's desk. Do you think politics is getting in the way of real change? Why is change such an uphill battle? Politics is definitely become an impediment to what many people see as common sense gun control laws and uh, some would point to the financial influence of the National Rifle Association and other gun lobby groups who do donate a lot of money in many cases to Republican politicians. There is still a lot of division within the public. It's not just politicians who are divided on the issue. There's a real divide in the U.S. public on the issue. So that does point to some difficulties in finding common ground. But as we heard in the State of the Union address, Biden and the Democrats are going to try and introduce more legislation. It may be a, an uphill battle because of the history, but that doesn't mean that they're going to stop trying. And there are at least some compromises that perhaps could be reached with regards to things such as uh, as red flag laws or, or background checks that, that a majority of Americans certainly support. Anytime there's an incident, it reminds us uh, how deep the divide is in America when it comes to guns and gun ownership. Ira, thank you so much for unpacking this very perplexing for some uh, and very multifaceted relationship. Thank you. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Catch up with them anytime on cna.asia. The team behind this episode is Sai Ye Win, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and me, Teresa Tang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>